It's Wednesday, August 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Strategy hey. week rolls on, my friend. It does. It stops for no man. <laughs> it stops for no man. Um, so we're going to talk today... Uh, we talked the other day about value investing. Mm-hmm. That's who you are at your core. But um, your day-to-day job here at The Motley Fool is managing a portfolio, the, specifically the million-dollar portfolio service. Yeah. So let's talk about managing a portfolio, which is, you know, frankly, I don't think we've ever talked about it in, in, <laughs> in, the, in the depth that we're, you and I are going to so talk about So I can say today. anything, and you wouldn't even know if it's... Right or right. Oh, no, I've done my research. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, you know, it, uh, I think longtime listeners know we've, we focus on companies here at The Motley Fool. That's how we look at stocks. But I, but it's not often that we talk in terms of right. managing a whole portfolio. How do, For someone who has bought their first stock, mm-hmm. which is a great first step Absolutely. for anyone, what is the step they need to take next towards building a portfolio? So the great thing about Million Dollar Portfolio, shameless plug, uh, the service that I manage here, is that it was created because we had members said, I have all these recommendations from The Motley Fool, and I own all these various stocks, but I don't know how to create a portfolio. To me, it's just kind of a list of stock holdings that I have in my brokerage account. Is there another kind of layer you can put on this? And the layer is portfolio management, and that's uh, why uh, how Million Dollar Portfolio was born. So... When you think of building a portfolio, the first thing that probably or should come to mind is diversification, not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, and you can do the diversification in many different ways. The, um, the goal that we get up to is through um, a number of stock holdings, probably 15 or more. But you can also get to instant diversification through index funds. And I sometimes tell people that only own one stock and don't necessarily plan on having a lot of capital um, in the near term to develop uh, a portfolio of 15 or more companies, buy a little uh, stake in an index fund or an index ETF, exchange-traded fund, um, and own a little piece of every company in the S&P 500. Um, and there's your, that's a portfolio right, right. there, right? You a little it, piece it, of 500 it, stocks. And that's a, a do-it-for-me kind of approach. Um, a a do-it-yourself kind of approach is what we're doing in Million Dollar Portfolio, where we're trying to take positions... Like for example, we currently have a 27 stock portfolio, um, but that fluctuates between let's say 25 and 35. Um, mutual funds sometimes hold 100 or 200 stocks. Uh, we we think that's actually too many. It's it's very hard to keep track of um, if you're an individual investor, and also you're kind of diversifying out a lot of uh, the goodness of of what a good stock picker, right. uh, being a good stock picker, can do for you. If you own too many stocks, you'll start to mimic the market, um, even if that's not your intention. Um, we're trying to beat the market, so we're diversifying. We're, we're diversifying across sectors across market capitalization, size of companies, uh, across risk profiles, across um, investing strategies like growth and value, um, to develop a really nice wide variety of stocks that will hopefully beat the market. And and because we're trying to beat the market, we specifically don't try to mimic the allocations of, of an index like the S&P 500. That would that would get us to, to match that index, and, and we have no desire to do that. We want to kind of crush it. Um, so building stocks from a lot of different areas is, is how we think about portfolio management. We were talking before we started taping, and I mentioned that you had said something. It, it may have even been last year. I'm not sure. Maybe it was earlier this year about 
energy mm-hmm. stocks. And you had said at one point you had said in a meeting of the million dollar portfolio team, you and Charlie Travers, Dave Meyer, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, you said we got to get some energy because we have to have energy. You said energy exposure is a must uh, in in a port in a right. di- in a diversified portfolio so i i, I want to hear some th- some more color on mm-hmm. that but i'm also curious what are there any other industries that you look at and say look if you're going to have a diversified portfolio you got to have exposure here too so yeah i th- so i'll stand by that statement that um a, a, a well diversified portfolio should have some energy exposure we have 7% exposure right now in energy and million dollar portfolio um but but I don't I'm not a huge fan of absolute statements. So it's not under all circumstances. So if we're analyzing energy companies and based on on what's going on in, in the macro environment and in those companies in particular, we just can't find a company that makes sense from a valuation perspective. I'm not going to invest anyway just for the sake of staying true to that statement. Um, but you can all as long as you look hard, you can probably find some company in almost any sector that makes sense um, to buy. So in general, I definitely will stand by that statement. Um, you know, you look at the big the big sectors: uh, information technology, consumer, finance and insurance, and banking, energy, industrial. Uh, cash is actually a sector uh, for when you think of portfolio management um, that you can't ignore. Uh, healthcare; those are the big sectors. Um, I like to see exposure across all of those sectors. Um, By the I'm, way, as you're saying all yes. this, I'm just going through mentally my own portfolio <laughs> and realizing how <laughs> how many sectors I have no exposure to right. whatsoever. So, but I, I'm not afraid. I don't. I don't believe in equally weighting these sectors. I'm not afraid to say, you know. Um, I'm finding really great values right now in large cap tech stocks, for example. Um, so let's overweight technology. And um, for various reasons, healthcare, I'm having trouble right now finding some stocks. So there's, there's maybe one or two, but we're going to underweight healthcare right now. Um, so it, it's based on what I see and what the team sees out there. It's very rare that I'll say um, I would like a 25% exposure to consumer companies. Let's go out and find 25% uh, companies that could make up 25 it's more. It's a little more organic than that. We find companies as we find them, and then they fit into certain buckets, and we can always look at those buckets and make sure, like the way the portfolio is shaping up, jives with our kind of view of the world. When it comes to managing a portfolio, the the question very naturally comes up about reallocation. Mm. And there are some people who are just very mechanical about it. They say, "Hey, once a quarter." Once every six months, once a year, I look at my portfolio, and that's when I do my reallocation. I, I know that this is not a one-size-fits-all situation, okay. but in general, how should people approach reallocating their portfolio? Because I, I, I can imagine for a lot of people, to the extent that they are looking at their portfolio yeah, once a month, once a week, that sort of thing, that what is triggering decisions or potential decisions is not necessarily the entire portfolio, but one company within it. They look at one stock that the last time they checked, it was a lot higher and now it's a lot lower. Or the inverse, they look at one stock and they say, holy cow, when I started out, this was 
5% of my portfolio. Now it's 20% of my portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yep. And maybe I should think about rebalancing. What- right. So reality, that's a good word. Reallocation and rebalancing are similar concepts, um, not necessarily exactly the same thing. Um, for example, in million dollar portfolio, we do not add money to this portfolio. It's a fixed capital portfolio. We started with a million dollars. So when we're fully invested, like basically we are now, we have a 2% cash position. If I see a stock that I want to take a 5% position in, I can't do it unless I sell something and reallocate that cash, which is a, some, a very important part of portfolio management and something we're absolutely willing to do. Um, it's sometimes a hard concept to teach because you will actually be selling a good company in favor of what we consider to be a great company. And that doesn't always sit right with people. People have um, a distaste for selling good companies, and I I understand that. But if the goal is to have uh, a grouping of stocks in your portfolio that represent the best possible stocks at any one time, that sometimes means shedding some of the stocks that have either a uh, less favorable risk-reward relationship or however you want to put it, less appreciation potential, uh, a lower dividend or whatever we happen to be looking at. So we, again, uh, take reallocation from a very organic perspective. Um, We sell stocks when we think the risk-reward relationship no longer is in our favor. That frees up cash, allows us to reallocate to something else. If a stock becomes too big a piece of the portfolio... That can be okay if we think, again, the risk-reward still works. It very often is the case that it's not working anymore because the stock has risen to such a lofty um, valuation, and that's where we'll pair back a stock. So if a stock becomes 10% of the portfolio, but we still like it, just not at that size, we can pair it back down to 5%. It frees up 5% cash for us, and then we can reallocate it into something new. Um, or even uh, reallocate that cash into stocks we already own and just increase the positions of the stocks we already own. Um, so we, we look that, at that on a daily basis, quite frankly, uh, because we're actively managing a portfolio. Um, it doesn't often lead to a trade. Mm-hmm. It, uh, we're not traders. We're, we're long-term investors here. Um, and so there's not a lot of selling that goes on, but certainly when appropriate, we do. And when you, as you said, when, when stocks get to be very large pieces of our portfolio, that really amps up the risk of of how much weight that stock has to your portfolio performance. And so, so we'll definitely look at that for individual investors um, that aren't like following exactly what we're doing in million dollar portfolio. Um, I think either six months or a year is is fine, you know, a fine time horizon to kind of take stock and, and see see what what it looks like. I don't want to get deep in the weeds on this one, so let's let's make this exchange brief. Um, <laughs> but to what extent do taxes factor into your decision to sell? I typically operate based on the statement that you can't let the tax dog tax dog wag the invest the tax tail wag the investment dog. Okay. Okay. Um, so I understand that taxes have an effect on your net rate of return, obviously. Um, That's why we purposely run a tax-efficient portfolio, and I recommend that others do as well. By that, I mean not a lot of trading, not a lot of selling, not a lot of short-term selling, which generates the unfavorable short-term capital gain tax treatment. Um, However, regardless of tax treatment, if I find a stock that needs to be sold, because I don't believe in it any longer or because the risk-reward is no longer in my favor. For whatever reason, I don't allow the tax implications of that to affect the decision. 
You've been doing this a long time. I have. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I wasn't a statement on your age. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but you know, basically, like you know, you, you've been doing this for a couple of decades yeah. now, and I am curious, what do you know now about managing a diversified portfolio that you didn't know when you were starting out? That's that's a great question. Um, so something um, that I've learned actually since I've been a fool over the fla- uh, last five years is to really embrace. Um, high growth stocks, um, the stocks that David Gardner um, has really, you know, done so so well on. Um, he, he calls them rule breakers. Um, I, um, as a, as a self identified value investor, um, often kind of shied away from those. Um, but what we did for million dollar portfolio is we recognized the importance of not forgetting those types of stocks. If you're going to be well diversified, you need to be well diversified across things, not just sectors, but across the value, across growth, across dividends. Um, so what we did is we took associate um, advisor Dave Meyer and we put him in charge of what we call the sleeve of the million dollar portfolio, 30% of that sleeve is dedicated to high growth companies. And that is what he's focused on like a laser, um, looking at those David Gardner type companies to make sure we're properly allocated. It does up the risk Mm -hmm. of the overall, the risk profile of the overall portfolio, but we balance that out by the other 70% of um, the portfolio being where we, where we want it so we don't get too crazy in terms of, of risk. I wouldn't want 80% of the portfolio to be in high-risk companies or high-growth companies, um, but 30% is great. And with Dave really uh, you know, focusing um, like a laser on them, it gives you kind of the spark you need to really help you beat the market. I was going to say, when you were talking before about you're looking to take a 5% position in something and you've only got 2% cash yeah. and what do you sell and that sort of thing. It, it actually reminded me of something David Gardner has said for years, which is let your winners run. And that's one of those things that it sounds great. And when it happens for you as an investor, it's great. But it also does run at odds with the whole notion of, oh, yeah, now I have a stock that makes up a third of my portfolio. And even if you believe it's a great company, even if you believe that it still has room to run, that really does up the risk, though, doesn't it? Absolutely ups the risk. And um, everyone feels risk differently. You know, the the proverbial, can you sleep at night right. with the way your portfolio um, looks? Some people can have a three to five stock portfolio with very large positions at each and sleep just fine. Um understanding that that is a risky portfolio. Um, Others, like myself, quite frankly, would prefer to be more diversified than that. But for this 30% of the portfolio we manage, we are more willing to let winners run and let those allocations grow. But still, it's only up to a certain point because we know there's lots of different people following us um, in this portfolio, and we still want to keep that overall risk profile you know, within reason. When was the last time you lost sleep over a stock? Because <laughs> I'll tell you when it was for me. Um, and and we, we, I think we had talked the other day. Uh, the topic of uh, biotechnology came up, and it it was over a decade ago. I bought a biotech stock. I really didn't understand what they did. It, ironically, it was a stock that I made a little bit of money on. Okay. But the reason I sold it was because I couldn't sleep at night because I couldn't get my head around what this company was actually doing. <laughs> and even though the stock was doing fine for me, yeah. I just couldn't take it. I thought, you know what? This ain't worth it. This just ain't worth it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, for me, what immediately came to mind when you said that was uh, in 2004, 
and I was managing a hedge fund, and I took a very large position. And of all things, the companies that makes those um, disposable cameras. I don't. I, you probably haven't uh, seen many of those oh. recently. <laughs> um, and 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 it was a horrible decision. It's a a, a lesson I learned where I, um, it's a value investing lesson. You can't just fall in love with a balance sheet and ignore what the company does. Right. <laughs> um, and I and and I had a very large position and and. It was one of my rare losers, and it was a big loser. And um, I don't like to lose money for my right. clients, um, so that that was not that was not a fun week. Are those even made anymore? Disposable cameras? I think somewhere you could find them, but I I didn't look into the future and see yeah. digital coming and iPhones and you know I just it I was just, it was a blunder. IPhone. It was a blunder on my part. It, it, you just reminded me of one of the what I consider to be one of the all time great investing scenes in a movie and it's the movie other people's money with Mm. danny devito where there's an annual meeting and he's an activist investor who's taken uh, a stake in this company and he shows up at the annual meeting basically making his case that they should just liquidate they should just liquidate and return the guy and he has a line where he says i bet once upon a time there were dozens of companies that made buggy whips. <laughs> right. And I bet the last company still standing made the best damn buggy whip ever made. That's yep. probably the case with your company, with the disposable <laughs> cameras. They probably made a hell of a disposable camera. And they did end up liquidating in the end. And, and it was a great value investment for some because you could buy it at a discount to its liquidation value at a certain point. But unfortunately for me, <laughs> I owned it at much higher prices. Uh, last question <laughs> about managing a portfolio because – uh, a lot of people manage a portfolio with someone else. It could be their spouse. It could be someone else in their family. It could be with a financial advisor. You work with a team of people. Mm-hmm. So you're not making decisions in a vacuum just as a lot of people are not. How do you settle disagreements? Uh, how do you recommend someone settle a disagreement, whether it's their spouse or their financial advisor, and one of them is saying, I really think we should buy this stock and sell that one. And oh, that's just tough. Kind of- I, I don't believe in making decisions by committee. Um, I believe in – I'm so lucky to have this incredibly talented team, and, and I can almost always take their recommendation on a stock that they think should be in the portfolio and go with it. But there are certain times where I'll disagree or I'll I'll even disagree with a recommended allocation and and I'll have to say not comfortable with that. But that's in a corporate setting at home when you're doing it with your your spouse. I think you probably have to be, come to some consensus, and, and it's it's always great to write things down. So write things down why you bought a stock or why you would like to buy a stock. Make sure both people or, or the group of people, it could be an investing club, um, are all on the same page about why you're doing something. What the thesis is. What the thesis is. And then you can consistently, every quarter, whatever it is, go back and say, are we still on track here? And if the answer is no, then you you have it in writing and you can point to the data and say, this is what we all agreed on and it's not working out or it is working out and we need to make a decision. All right. Thank you for being here, my Thank friend. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Shows mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.